us um, in spite of us and that you have a passion to make your name magnified in this neighborhood and throughout this city that we love. God, I pray that you would speak to our hearts. Give us ears to hear, God. Give us eyes to see, God. Give us the ability to receive from you. Lord, I pray for that, that brother, that sister, that man, that woman today who um, is just, just weighed down, Lord, by, by different kinds of burdens, responsibilities, uh, illness, um, anxiety. And God, I pray you would relieve them, God, and, and, and show them, Lord, how, how you are the answer, how you are the hope, how you provide strength, Lord. Um, God, just, just give us that, that, that heart and passion to, to not just hear from you, but also then to respond to you, Lord. Thank you again for this morning, God. I pray your spirit would guide us and your uh, glory would be made known among us. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. God is good? And all the time? God is good? And all the time? All right, we usually don't say that here. But I was, uh, I was with some other folks this past week, and, and these kind of these church slogans were true. And I was like, man, that, that's a good one. God is good and all the time. And uh, a lot of you may have grown up or been a part of different circles where you've heard that statement, God is good all the time and all the time, God is good. And um, I, I, I can say that that's true. I've enjoyed God's goodness in my own life, and it hasn't always been easy, but I just thank him for his, his goodness. Uh, my voice is a little weak today. I had a, I had a week of yelling. Um, on Friday, I was at a conference, and I was doing some teaching with my wife, and then uh, we, were, we were prayer counselors at the end of the ceremony, at the end of the conference, and they were leading worship. It was loud, and I'm on the side next to the stage trying to pray, and people couldn't hear me. So I'm like yelling in their ear, like, God, I pray. And I mean, I'm like, I'm sorry. I'm yelling at you. I'm just trying to pray for you. And if that wasn't enough, yesterday morning, we had a baseball game, and um, let's give it up to the Brook family who's been playing all season long. Yeah, I see some Yankees out there, some Twins, Blue Jays, Reds, and A's out there. Uh, man, we had a good season. Yesterday was the final game of the season. Uh, give it up to the Yankees who won the championship. Yeah. Man, we're just so proud of the kids, the parents. They competed. They had a great time. Um, I'm proud of the Brooke families. I'm proud of the men who coached this league. Uh, I'm just proud of you guys. And I lost my voice because of you guys yesterday. Um, I lost it in defeat, guys. I'm a little sorry still about that, man. Shed a tear for me. God is good, though. And all the time. It's a statement that we hear often, man. And no matter what goes on in life, uh, we're confronted with this question. Is God good? Is God really good? If you're like me, there's a few times in my life where I doubt that intellectually. I can affirm the fact that God is good. I, I've read it in Scripture. I see the, the pages of the Bible bleed with his goodness, you know. When God's people were stuck up against the Red Sea and Moses is there, he's got this pe- God's people around him. The armies of Egypt are chasing him down. He's like, we got nowhere to go. What does God do? In his goodness, he parts that Red Sea. He says, I made a way. God is good. He sure is good all the time. I think about a time when Daniel was thrown into the lion's den and they thought for sure he'd be a goner, but God in his goodness shut the mouth of the lion. I think of the bleeding woman in the, in the Gospels who comes to Jesus hoping for an answer to her ailment, touches his garment, and God in his goodness heals her. So, so intellectually, I, I don't doubt that God is good. But if you're like me, there are times in our lives because of varying circumstances, emotionally 
And experientially, I have a hard time affirming his goodness. You ever been there? You, you can say amen to that. We could be honest. There are times in our life by, by what we're experiencing, it's hard to see. You know, in sports, they talk about different athletes, and some might have good statistics, but they don't pass what they call the eye test. And there are some athletes who maybe don't have good t- statistics, but when you watch them, you realize that's a special athlete. They pass the eye test. And sometimes we believe that God is good, but by our eye test, sometimes we're like, but then why all this, God? You're good, but then why is this going on? And there are different circumstances in our lives that bring us to this place. Sometimes you're just discontent with various things. You're, you're, you're discontent by your body image, by your friendships, by your, your, your spouse, by your place of employment, by, by the circumstances in your life. And, and you're saying, man, is God good? Maybe you relate to the guy who came to me once. He says, Eric, I believe that God is good. I just have a hard time believing he's good to me. You ever been there? Well, today what I want to do is give a defense for God's goodness, not just intellectually, but experientially. Because even in our circumstances, no matter how deep they might get, no matter how dark they might become, God is still good. And he is the supplier of all of our needs. He supplies us for every circumstance. And what I want to show you today is how God does that, even when things are rough. Today is my last sermon on this book of Philippians we've been preaching through this summer. And I've had a good time doing it, and I hope you did too. And if you didn't, don't tell me anything. All right? We've learned that, that God talks about joy, and he, he wants us to be men and women who, who understand his joy and experience his joy, irregardless of our circumstances. And that same thing is true of his goodness, that God is good no matter what the circumstance is like. And what he does in his goodness is provide for us the ability to find contentment in him no matter how things are. And that's a display of the fact that God is good. So would you meet me in the book of Philippians if you can? It's towards the end of your Bibles, and there is a Bible in a chair in front of you. If you haven't owned one, if you didn't bring one with you, you can use the one in front of you. And if you don't, if you don't own one, please take that one home. We really do want you to have the Bible in your hands. And we're on like page 981 or 982, something like that, in the Bible, in the pews. And would you, would you please rise to your feet? I'm going to be reading this last section of the book of Philippians for you. Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 20. I love how God talks to us in his word. I think there's going to be a lot of resonating in your hearts as we even read these words, even before we get into unpacking them. In verse 10, it says, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I am to be, say, content with me. Say content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Let's read verse 13 together. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Verse 14 says, Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know 
that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. I'm going to read that one more time, family, because I don't think you guys heard me here. Verse 19, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory. Say glory. Forever and ever. Amen. Amen. You may be seated, family. We've seen from week in and week out that the Apostle Paul, who wrote this letter to a church in a city called Philippi, he wrote it from prison, a prisoner because of Jesus. He preached Jesus. He's telling people about Jesus. Um, They weren't happy about that, the people he was telling Jesus to, and they ended up putting him in prison, most likely in the city of Rome at this point. And he's writing letters to his friends, trying to encourage them to persevere in their faith when they're downtrodden when they're questioning God's goodness, perhaps. And here, as he comes to the tail end of this letter, he actually expresses the reason for this letter. See, the whole point of writing this letter is to say thank you to them. Now, we saw in previous weeks that a guy by the name of Epaphroditus, that's a lot of syllables, he came to Paul with a gift, and the gift came from the church in the city called Philippi. And he brought Paul a gift in prison sent by this man, Epaphroditus. And so Paul is sending a letter back with Epaphroditus to the people in Philippi to say thank you and to encourage them. And this is why he says here in verse 10, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. Basically, he's saying, you know, I was extremely thankful that while I was in prison, Epaphroditus showed up at at the prison cell with a gift from you guys. And he says, I'm just thankful that you revived your concern for me. He says, you were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. They, they cared about Paul. They, they, they valued him, and they were burdened by the fact that he's in prison. In fact, Paul goes on to say, as you heard me read earlier in verses 15 and 16, that earlier, he says, in the beginning of the gospel, that's when Paul first went out to preach, he showed up at their doorsteps, was telling them about Jesus, and they put their faith in Jesus, God radically changed their lives, and they began to come alongside of Paul, supporting him and providing for him. And even when he moved on to other cities, they kept sending gifts to help care for his needs. You see, Paul made tents for a living. He was a tent maker. And he sold tents to provide for his different missionary expeditions. But as you might imagine, I mean, he wasn't killing it financially. And other people had to come alongside of him and say, hey, we believe in what you're doing. We want this good news of Jesus to spread everywhere. And the Philippian church was among those who first came up to Paul and says, we're going to back you, Paul. We're going to give to you so that this message never stops spreading. So Paul has great affection for them. 
And Paul's here writing from prison, reflecting at how God has provided for him, even through the Philippians. He says, you've revived your concern for me. And it's, and it's not like he's saying, you know what, you guys used to care about me, but you no longer love me, you know. It's not like he was saying that. What he was saying is, you, you cared about me, but you didn't have an opportunity to show it while I was here in prison. This word revive, he says, you, you revived your concern. It doesn't mean that it was lost and now it's finally back. But the word revive means to bloom. It has begun to bloom again. Now, I'm no gardener, but I do know that there are perennial flowers and plants. And perennial flowers and plants bloom at the right season, don't they? You have spring-blooming perennials. I even read online that there are some winter-blooming perennials. There, There are different kinds of perennials, and there's also different flowers and plants for different climates. But one thing you can guarantee with these kind of plants and flowers is that they're going to bloom at the same time every year when the season is right. What Paul is saying here is like, you guys knew my need, and right now in this season, you're blooming to care for it. That's pretty cool, isn't that? you're, You're meeting me in my place in this various climate and season that I'm in in order to take care of my need. But notice what he says in verse 10. He says, I rejoiced in the Lord for this. You see, what what Paul understands that you and I must understand is that every good gift comes from God because God is good. And so even the fact that their love and concern would bloom at the right season, Paul recognizes that came from God. He says, you know, I'm in jail. My circumstances stink right now. I realize this, but as we've seen, his outlook is not one of complaining or woe is me or pity me, although he might have every reason to do that. But what he does is he sees that God has a purpose even when life is hard. And every time someone comes through with a gift, Paul recognizes that came from God because regardless of my circumstance, God is still good. And so Paul here is looking at them. And he said, I, I rejoiced when Epaphroditus showed up, and I'm rejoicing in your gift. But verse 11 is an interesting twist. He says, not that I am speaking of being in need. He's like, I'm not trying to be a beggar here. Like, I, I, I'm here in prison, but, but I'm not speaking like I'm in need. And we're like, well, why not? He says, well, I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Now, that's a rough word, isn't it? How many of you guys struggle with contentment at different times? How many of you just lied to me? Whoever didn't have their hand up, right? We we know it's hard to be content. We know it's difficult to say, I'm okay with where I'm at, even if you're not happy with where you're at, even if you're you're, you're at a place where you didn't want to be. But Paul's saying, I've learned to be content, to say, "I'm, I'm, I'm satisfied. This past week, I was up in Minnesota um, at a conference getting trained to train church planters, which is super exciting to me. And uh, they took us out for, for dinner one night, and they, they said they were going to pick up the tab, which to me is like music to my ears. So I got myself a big, fat steak. I mean, a big steak. You know, I give me some sides, hook it up. And I, we, ate, we ate till we were full, and then the, wait, the waiter had the nerve to come by and say, ask if we wanted dessert. And I looked at them like, I, I'm like it's oozing through my ears. No, thank you. I was content. I was filled to the rim with food. Paul is saying here, 
that as he's in his situation, he's learned to be content, whether though, he says, his stomach is full or whether it's empty. Look what he says. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. Paul was beaten for this good news of Jesus, and he's also been one who stand before kings. He says, in any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Paul realizes that no matter what the circumstance, he has reason to be content. He can be content in God, whether in abundance or in need. And this is an interesting thing for us, family, because when things are abundant, sometimes we think when we're not having an abundant time that if only things were more abundant, I would be content. We naturally think that. But what happens is we've seen from those who do have abundance that they oftentimes still remain discontent. Because contentment is not dependent on abundance or need, but who your faith is in. You hear me? Your your contentment is not dependent on possessions of people or things, but possession of faith in Jesus. And so, in fact, what abundance tends to do for most of us, it masks our real need for Jesus. One thing I've learned with fevers is that you you take some Tylenol, you can reduce the temperature, but it doesn't get rid of the virus. The virus still remains within. The Tylenol simply masks it. And so a lot of times, if you're like me, when I'm running a high temp, I get some Tylenol, I'm feeling good, I'm ready to go out for a run, and then it crashes after four hours, and I need another dose. And so what happens is, when we are living with plenty and abundance, a lot of times, it masks the very fact that we truly, deep down inside, are still discontent. And Paul says, I've learned both sides of the spectrum. I've had some financial wealth. And I've been, I've been dirt poor. I've had things going really well from my, from my life standpoint, and I've had things really struggling. But he says, these things are not what determine my contentment. He says, I've learned to be content in all circumstances. So I want to know how it is that he's able to be content. And the answer is there found in verse 13. He says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Paul says, I find my purpose and my ability to be content because of my faith in Jesus, and he gives me strength. God is my supplier, he's saying. I love how this this unpacks for us. Because Paul says, I can do all things through him. Which means, apart from Jesus, you can't have this kind of contentment. But through Jesus, you can. And this is the reason why. You see, when Jesus came on this earth, he lived a perfect life without sin, the very thing you and I could never do. And when he went to the cross, he faced the punishment that you and I deserved for rebelling against God. God is a perfect God. We are imperfect people. And Jesus on that cross took our imperfection and in exchange gave us his righteousness. So when we say, Jesus, I believe you died for me. I believe that you've forgiven me. I'm turning from my sin. I'm going to follow you. We become part of God's family. We become forgiven. And then through him, we're able to live this life. And through him, we could do all things. Now, you may have heard some people take that verse and talk about all kinds of crazy things that they can do. That just ain't true. 
you cannot be a professional singer because Jesus gives you the voice because if you don't have a bad voice, it's a bad voice, right? That's the American Idol problem, you know? We, we, I, I can do it, right? Um, but what Paul is saying, I can be content in all circumstances. I, I can enjoy God's uh, satisfying pleasure in all circumstances, no matter what's going on. So when Paul looks at his situation, intellectually he knows God is good, and experientially he's going through a valley, but he still could say God is good because he could do all things through Jesus, who gives him strength. So I want you to know this today, family. No matter where you're at, whether it's abundance or need, hunger or, or plentiful, you can find contentment through Jesus who gives you the strength to be content. Now, one way that Jesus tends to do that is through other people. And this is where Paul picks up again in verse 14, talking about this Philippian church. He says, yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. Paul's thankful. He realizes God is the one who supplies everything he needs, but he also realizes that God uses people to do that. You've got to understand that God wants to use you to be an instrument in his hand to come to the aid of others who are in need. So that through your love and your generosity and your sacrifice, they can look up and say, God is good. Through you, they can praise God. We've got to be generous and sacrificial as the Philippian church was. Ultimately, they were being good friends to Paul. They're like, you're a homie, we're taking care of you. You know, I think a lot of us have a hard time at different times uh, being these kind of friends, don't we? To, to give of ourselves and sacrifice of ourselves. Paul says here that it was kind of you, in verse 14, to share in my trouble. You, you see, what they did was they entered into his, his struggle. They said, we, we want to be here with you, Paul. We're not just going to send money and say, deuces, you know, have a good one. We're going we're to share in your struggle and come alongside of you in this. The, the kind of way God wants us to come alongside of our brother or our sister who's struggling and to be an instrument in God's hand. And others of us need to recognize that sometimes the people we're pushing away are the people God is sending to us to demonstrate his goodness. We're saying, God, won't you, won't you come through and be good to me? And God's bringing people in your life. You're like, no, God, I want you. I want you. The like, God's like, I'm sending me through these people to be my instrument, to be my hand of goodness. And so Paul is thanking them here. But what I love is how he views their gift. Because he's not just praising them here. He's praising God while thanking them. You see that? See, if he's just praising them, it's flattery. If he's just puffing them up, it's just flattery. But he realizes that they, they are being used by God. So he's worshiping God and thanking them, and this is the way it ought to be. And he's thrilled about it because verse 17 says, Not that I seek the gift, the thing that you gave to me, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. Now I want to unpack this for you because it's a little tricky. What, what Paul is saying is basically this. When you guys gave to me, I, I was extremely thankful 
But you need to know God continues to provide for my needs. But I'm thankful not simply because I had a need, but because of what God's going to do for you through your generosity. You see that? He says, I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. What, what, What Paul is saying is, when you sacrifice for God's kingdom work, watch how God cares for you and provides for you. And he's saying, continue to give. Give everywhere. Give generously and watch what God does as you give of yourself, as you give of your time, as you give of your, of your finances. So Paul's just thrilled here because of their gift, knowing that in response, God's going to shower his grace and blessings upon them. Now, I need to talk about what kind of gifts we need to be expecting because some people may twist this in all kinds of ways. But notice what God does. He gives you the fruit of joy when you give. You ever have joy giving? You ever experience the joy of knowing that the money, let's say, for instance, that you gave to a particular missionary, that God used that money to fund their mission work, to lead someone across the world to know Jesus? There's a kind of joy that comes with that. You ever experience the, the fruit of awe? The fruit of awe? When you sit down with someone and you're giving of your time and you're giving of your love and you're giving of your counsel and you're seeing God tear down chains. You ever experience the the fruit of faith that comes in your heart when you give and you realize, God, you took care of us. I'm going to keep giving and give more and more because you keep providing. See, see, God provides for us. He, He brings this different kind of fruit in our lives through our generosity. And why Paul is so excited, he's saying, the more you give of yourself and your time and your money, the more you're going to experience the fruit that God gives to you. And so he's like, yeah, I've got a need here, but it's not about my need. It's about what God does for you here through your generosity. I love his perspective here. It's not about him, but it's about God and his glory and his grace. He says in verse 18, I've received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering. I mean, I'm well supplied. I I got stuff stocked up because of your gift to me. He says, it was a fragrant offering to God. It was like an act of worship. That's what he's telling them. And I'm sure as they're reading this letter, man, they're just filled with joy. Like, man, God, thank you for using us to encourage our brother as he's there in prison. And he says in verse 19, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. I was looking at verse 18 when he says that he's received their gifts. And so that tells me that, that, that there was a, there's a plurality to what they gave. And maybe he's talking about a multiple people giving it an offering, or, or maybe he's talking about more than just finances. You see, they sent Epaphroditus, a brother, to be present with them. And I'm sure Paul saw that as a gift. Maybe he said, you know, they, they, they brought for him some tangible gifts. Maybe he, he needed an extra tunic. Break a bustello. Who knows? Something, man. They, they gave him a gift. It reminds me of the last time Pastor Wilson, our brother, uh, was here with us a couple years ago. Um, he came and visited our house, and, and um, we, we ended up cooking dinner for him. But we didn't cook him his favorite meal. And his favorite meal is lasagna. And in Liberia, lasagna is not an easy commodity because they, they haven't got ovens like we've got. It's just a, it's a, different, it's a different thing. And, and they got Italian food either, you know. Um, but I remember after he left, uh, we, I think we shared this before, our son Lucas cried. 
And we're like, Lucas, why are you crying? And when Pastor Wilson went back to Liberia, he said, his favorite food was lasagna, and we didn't give it for him. Oh, right. But I was like, he, he understood this kind of loving generosity. Like, like, like you know what? He, he, yeah, money, Paul could use money, but, but they gave him gifts. They gave him love. And so when Pastor Wilson and his wife, Grace, were in our house about a month ago, we had lasagna. We had lasagna. We ate good, right? <laughs> so when you leave next week, Monday, back to Liberia, Pastor Wilson, the, there won't be crying in the, in the Rivera household because of that. We'll be missing you, though. See what Paul has done here. He's showing us how good God is. He's showing us how, how when his, his life is here struggling in prison, wishing perhaps he was out there, not knowing about the, the results of his imprisonment. He said, but God, God has supplied everything I needed. I, I'm content here. He says, you know, but, but God also does use people, though. In Philippians, thank you. Because through you, God, God has come to my aid. I, I'm, I'm feeling the love here. God is good. He's good in contentment. He's good in the gift. He's good in the love he provides. And some of you today need to hear that God is good to you. Now, not just intellectually, but, but I, I pray that you would come to understand that experientially and emotionally and come to know and recognize that God is good to you. You see, Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And that through Christ statement is offered to everybody. So if you come today and you're exploring the Christian faith, you're trying to figure out how to get right with God. Maybe you feel far. Maybe you want to get back in alignment with him. Well, Paul says the answer to getting in alignment, the answer to contentment, the answer to forgiveness, the answer to everything you've got in life is Jesus. And through him, he will supply every need of yours. Now notice Paul's not saying I'm content because I know he'll supply me release from prison. He doesn't know that. In fact, earlier in the chapter 2, I think it is, he doesn't know if he's going to come. He says, I may not, you know, this might be the end of the road for me. So, so God supplying isn't necessarily giving us what we always want, but it's giving us what we truly need, and that's himself. It's contentment in him. And I love how Paul, as he's here, is reflecting on God's goodness to him, goodness to the Philippians, and by application, he's calling us to, to just marinate and soak in his goodness and then be those who are instruments of God to demonstrate his goodness to other people. Who in your life needs your generous and sacrificial friendship and love? Who in your life needs you to do what verse 14 says, to, to share in their trouble? Who in your life needs, needs you to supply their need in various forms so that when they see you, they see the God who is good? It's a not-so-subtle closing to this beautiful letter. Paul's saying, thank you for your gift. Keep on giving and keep doing it for God. We come to verse 20. And this isn't just some addendum to this statement, but I feel like this is the thrust here. Because Paul says, To our God and Father 
be glory forever and ever. Amen. To God, our Father. The fatherhood of God is is something that sometimes escapes us because we see imperfect models on this life, right? And God is a perfect father who is the perfect father in his provisions, in his love, in his grace, in, in, in his compassion. So in our time of need, Paul says to God, our father, the one who comes through, the one who loves, the one who provides, the one who protects. To him be glory forever and ever. Paul's telling the Philippians, never lose sight in your life who you're doing what for. And never lose sight of what your purpose in this life is about. Don't, don't give in order to puff yourself up, to make a name for yourself. And don't, don't be generous and sacrificial so people can start liking you more. But you do so because you love God. And you've seen how your God has been good to you, and you want others to see the same thing. To God be the glory, Paul says, now and forever and ever and ever. God is good, family. And all the time, he is good. He is good to us. We come to these last three verses in Philippians. Paul says, greet every saint in Christ Jesus. These brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household, as he writes from prison. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. And so is the letter of Philippians. Paul doesn't know. We don't don't get the end of the story. Does he get released? Does he not get released? And the truth is, we don't necessarily know the answer to that question. Some parts of church history say, well, we know that Paul dies in Rome. We do know that. We just don't know if he dies right now. We, we know that he ends up getting beheaded. We just don't know if it's at this time. Paul doesn't know yet. And his letter ends, though, with hope. That in all circumstances, whether abundant or low, in all things, God is good. And God will supply contentment in all of that. Family, we titled the series Unshakable or Unshackled Joy. And that's what God wants to offer us. You see, when our faith is rooted in Jesus, we can have a joy that knows no bounds. Like Paul says, you can handcuff my feet and my hands, but you can't cuff my joy. You can bound me up in prison, but you can't bound up my hope. And family, as we go forth in our lives, as we try to learn to follow Jesus, don't let your circumstances dictate the passion of your faith. Whether you're low or abundant, you say, Jesus, I'm going to live it for you. If I'm in a pit, whoever's around me, they're going to hear about Jesus. If I'm thriving and succeeding, In these various places in my workplace, everyone around me is going to hear about Jesus. If I'm living in an apartment I don't care about, well, my neighbors who live around me are going to know about Jesus. If I'm living in the house of my dreams, my neighbors around me are going to hear about Jesus. Because no matter my circumstance, my joy is not dictated by what I have in my possessions, 
but it's dictated by my faith in Jesus. And my prayer for you is that you would experience Jesus' joy as you go about life. And if you don't know Jesus today, if you're not sure if you do or don't know him, maybe you know about him, maybe intellectually you believe, but experientially you're like, I don't know if that's making a difference in my life. In a moment, we're going to have our prayer team come up. They're going to come on the, up on uh, each side of this stage, and they just want to be available to pray with you. Maybe you just say, hey, I, I'm getting it kind of. I'm not sure I fully understand. Would you pray for me? Man, they would love to do that. Maybe you're fighting for joy today, and the enemy has put all kinds of things in your life to steal it from you. Man, let a brother or sister know to stand in that gap with you, to, to, to share in your struggle and pray for you. Or maybe you just want a shout of praise of joy. Say, God has been so good in these various ways, and you want to tell someone else about it. Let our prayer team know. Well, family, let, let us not fail to respond in some way today. Whether we respond by singing and shouting, whether we respond by getting on our knees here in front of the stage, whether we respond by coming up for prayer, whether we respond by sitting in our seats and just praying quietly, let's, let's not be passive. Amen? But let's be participants in responding to God's word. Let me pray for us, man. Lord, I thank you that you have never left or forsaken your children. Jesus, I thank you that you are Emmanuel, God with us. And God, just as you promised even Joshua as he was entering the promised land that you would give him your presence, you, you promise us the same, that as we, we walk with you and enter into various areas of our lives, you will be with us. And so, God, I pray that you would give us the faith to just trust you, to walk with you, to lean on you, to, to hold tightly onto you. For that brother or sister today, that young person, that youth, that high schooler, who is fighting for joy for whatever reason, Lord. May, may they come to, to, to know and experience your joy through Jesus. Give them faith, God. Oh, Lord, we pray that you would move even as we sing this final song and that you would be glorified even in this place. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's rise to our feet, family.